This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Sunday, October 16, 2022, and welcome to the 35th episode in this series from Midas Touch and 5-Minute News called The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. Subscribe to this show as an audio podcast if you choose, in addition to my daily podcast called 5-Minute News. You can get it on iTunes or wherever you get yours. Joining me today is columnist, futurist, speaker, and author of the book Generation Z, Chloe Comby. Hello. Chloe, welcome back. You're Thank you. You're one of our original uh, uh, guests here on The Weekend Show. I think you were on like the second or third episode we ever did. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, with Steve Hassan, which is really interesting. That's right, with Steve Hassan, who's also since returned. And has uh, he's the cult expert, of course. And I was saying actually on last week's episode that we, we haven't, in my lifetime, cult, the word cult has never really been used that much. But since this whole MAGA Republican movement, Stephen is coming to his own. And really us understanding how cults kind of grow is, is very much front of mind. Your expertise is kind of the youth. Your book is Generation Z, which you wrote a while ago, but, but like the youth and the environment that they live in with social media and peer pressure and all of, of those areas. And, and so I'm really keen to kind of talk to you about how our children, certainly my children, because I have two little children and, mm. you know, they have, a, they have a future in the United States of America, uh, <laughs> how, how their lives might play out. We must just mention, though, the situation in England at the moment. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about the news today that <laughs> the eco- crashing economy and what Liz Truss, the new prime minister, has done. Well, I, I mean, it, it has total parallels, doesn't it? With, I mean, the, the, on both sides of the Atlantic, because it, it, I think we're all simultaneously feeling like um, the lunatics are in charge of the asylum, right. and and I mean irrespective of what how you vote the conservative party particularly post-brexit have been an absolute disaster and i mean frankly i mean quite how liz truss became prime minister boggles the mind it's uh, i compared it i think on twitter um to me deciding that i was going to design and build an incredibly complex building because i once won jenga and I mean, I mean, I mean, she is yeah. at, at best a mediocre politician who is known for a ridiculous speech about cheese exports. Um, everyone internally, I mean, and I do speak to a lot of people in the government, on, on, actually on both sides of the aisle. I mean, no one had a you know a particularly great word to say about her credibility. I mean, against every bit of advice, and again, this seems to be post this post-Brexit kind of magical thinking, and I think that very much connects to that kind of Trumpist way of thinking, that you feel like because you say it is, it is. And as soon as fantasy interacts with reality, then it blows up and inevitably this, this kind of trussonomics or this... Uh, what are they calling it? The Kamikaze, uh, the Kamikaze budget. Um, yeah. it, it sunk the pound, and inevitably that's going to have an enormous impact on on the global economy. But it's not just headline stuff. In the same politics, has very real consequences for you know everybody. And if you're not insulated in a bubble of being incredibly wealthy or politically connected, this deeply, deeply connects. And all of my friends, for example. Um, have had their mortgages just blow up. And if you had to remortgage your house, which most people do, or they were waiting to buy a house and inevitably impacts rents and so forth, they've all shot up. And I mean, and this, it's, it's, 
so many ways that it impacts lives and and inevitably this is going to have a trickle down effect for young people this has blown up the housing market so it's an absolute catastrophe a catastrophe and this follows boris johnson and obviously there's this kind of this moral and ethical quagmire that he created over this you know these parties he was having during covid which rightly really really disturbed and upset people um this followed you know, Theresa May, who seems comparably quite serious and important, you know, who followed David Cameron. And at this point, you think, and we're all thinking, when is enough? And we have to have a general election, because quite simply, they have run out of talent and ideas. And I think, and I, I know, when you go into the Tory party, quietly, lots of them would agree with that assessment. And that, I mean, and, it, and the, the, the reality is, it's it's a comical it's a comedy tragedy it really is and 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 the impact it's having is is enormous isn't it interesting how boris johnson was such a clown that theresa may was so annoying and boring she suddenly looks like quite a kind of acceptable candidate for the role and it's a little bit like here in the united states donald trump's tenure made people like me who hated George W. Bush with a passion, made him suddenly look like somebody who we were like, well, you know, he actually wasn't that bad after all, despite the war crimes and, you know, and and everything that went with that. Well, absolutely. There's perspective here, isn't there? Absolutely. And the romance of hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I was actually talking to someone about this today because I was looking at old footage of the old guard of the Tory party. It was like Kenneth Clark and Michael Hesterheim, politicians that I wouldn't, in my lifetime, I, you know, I now wouldn't agree with anything. But these were deeply serious, learned people who had kind yeah. of experiences in different fields. And the trouble is now, and this is true, as true in the UK as it is in America, that politics is not at all anymore about service or duty or a vision for the country it's about personal wealth and power and that is incredibly wrong and it's created a situation where the very worst people who naturally are attracted to power and wealth and easy power and wealth and the way it's seen in politics because uh, are, are attracted to politics and there isn't I think a kind of a a, a credible route in lots of ways. I mean, you know, Donald Trump is the ultimate example of that. He didn't go through the normal credible routes of being an economist or a great public servant. He was a game show host. And he, you know, and he, he by kind of some fluke and by fooling lots of people, I think, aspired to, you, you know, the highest levels of power. Um, and, and that somehow feels like a failed system. Um, but I think it's also a function of the fact, um, and, and, and we can, and this really does connect to the youth because I think it's massively about kind of undermining and devaluing education. Um, that where people I think sought both someone who was uh, experienced and more intelligent they were in politicians, but also someone who somehow felt worthy and better. Uh, I think politics and and Boris Johnson and Donald Trump are both massive examples of this. It's become a spectacle. It's like wrestling or, you know, some some sort of, you know, spectator sport. And we don't look for serious politicians. It's all about personality. And 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 people, you hear it all the time, he or she is boring. And we said at the beginning of the, the, the interview that, you know, Theresa May seems comparatively boring. And I can't, I think... I, I actually kind of want boring. I mm. want people who are, um, sorry, I'm having a, my ears are weird shape. I want people who are nerdy and learned and have gone through the process of aspiring to the highest levels of power. I don't want people who've got there through essentially fooling people um, or, or, you know, through some sort of fluke of social media. Um, and I would like to get back to some sort of seriousness and you know, learnedness and professorial characters in politics. But the trouble is, and this connects to the new generation, which, you know, we're going to talk about, is they have now grown up with character politics. um, And they've also grown up in an education system that's been massively underfunded. And pretty much, unless you go to private schools, wouldn't necessarily have either politics education or media education which is incredibly important so they become thoughtful about the you know what what they're what they're reading and internalizing and my fear is that because they've grown up with this and because they've massively underfunded these aspects of of education that this is actually the cycle is going to continue so i think that the and i i talk about this all the time both with people in politics when i advise them and with brands 
is that there has to be a way, and I, there is a way, I know that there's a way because I've, I've, I've talked to so many young people about this, to make serious politics as fun and engaging and in some ways as, as much of a spectacle as insane right-wing politics and p political figures are. And, and I think that really is the secret. That's the sweet spot of having people who have credibility and vision and an ethical good character who are also viewed both by both young, and it's not just young people, but people of all ages, as a kind of a character and, it, and and it's the classic thing in America isn't it it's the politicians that you'd like to have a beer with and I think that we're we're kind of at the you know the 2022 20, version of that it's people who are clever online and seem approachable but we also I think have to, to thread that needle with people who actually know what they're doing and Liz Truss is the ultimate example of somehow someone because they've run out of people and ideas of, of again becoming the, the prime minister and she has no idea and a, a, an economics undergraduate could have told her that tax plan was a disaster because if you give the richest people an extra you know little you know add addition to their pay packet they don't need it they're going to bank it if you give that to people who actually need it they're going to spend it and it goes back into the economy i'm not an economist and i could have told her that so frankly how she had the best advisors in the world and she wouldn't listen to that just just boggles the mind i was thinking um earlier about how british democracy is really functioning quite well at the moment because the country is small enough that there is a kind of national mood. They refer to the mood of the nation a lot in, in England. And that never happens here in America because obviously we, we are, have a much greater landmass and states have their own laws and everything else that goes with that. Uh, and not forgetting the number of people. But the mood of the nation in England right now is there needs to be a general election, which is effectively yeah. going to give Labour a chance to get in, and they would likely win because they're polling way ahead. Um, here in the United States, it's so different to that. You know, there really isn't a national mood. And the other thing is, like, because of people getting their media in such kind of narrow places, because unlike the UK mainstream media is not regulated and therefore there is a requirement for the news to be true in mm. England, in, in the United Kingdom. And in America, that does not, not since the Fairness Doctrine was, a, was abolished um, in, uh, under Ronald Reagan, uh, it's, there's no requirement for balance anymore. And so I was thinking to what you were just saying about seriousness. You remember like before the internet, your dad or someone might be reading the newspaper at, yeah. at dinner and that's the serious you know the actual the, the fabric of the newspaper made it quite serious mm. and kids had to have like the fun day times or a coloring book you know that material was it was something for kids but now all delivery of news comes through the device whether it's a kid's iphone or an mm. adult's iphone everything is coming through the same device so the news is being delivered through a, uh, a delivery method that is the same for entertainment and fun and Insta Reels and TikTok as it is for news, current affairs and opinion. And so there isn't, we don't get to compartmentalize what is news and serious and important and what is just for fun. No, no, absolutely. And I think I, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, this is the classic excuse of Fox News when they when they get, you know, uh, sued for things. It's like we're not a news channel or an entertainment channel. And, you know, if our audience enough silly enough to take us seriously, then it's not our fault, which is an you know, incredibly weak argument. Um, and I think you're right. I, I mean, th that's such a, a, a sort of knotty question, isn't it? Um, it this is the, I think with young people if you had this, this 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 kind of statement that this is a serious piece of news then it would probably put them off um you know and and that's why that they you know um, for, for better or worse that's just the, the you know the empirical fact that they go to TikTok or Instagram for, as their news source but bearing in mind that most of the, the news that they get from TikTok still flows from credible sources, like hopefully, you know, the BBC or CNN as, as opposed to Fox News. So there absolutely is a need for seriousness. And I'm not sure that you do need to separate them out. What I do think that needs to happen is that we need to have, be much more rigorous about this distinction between a rumour, 
and the sexy rumour that it's quite fun to believe. And I think that's very much where conspiracy theories flow from and where fact and truth exists. And again, it goes back to that language that I don't think truth and fact needs to be couched necessarily in this very newsy, serious tone. I think that it can still be really interesting and digestible. But young people, this is where we're getting it wrong. There's this this ability to distinguish between what is entertainment and what's conspiracy, even if it's really fun to believe, and what is fact and truth, and and getting back to this notion that fact and truth are important. But there's two really, like I think, good sort of positive, you know, signs in all of this. Number one, um, when you talk to young people, they, lots of them, are sort of saying that. We, I, I do go, as opposed to go to like a, an influencer, I do listen to experts. And I think a really good example of that on both sides of the channel is the huge popularity, um, both with Gen Z and Gen A, and we'll talk about Gen A in a minute, of someone like David Attenborough, who is the, you know, the, the ultimate sort of, you know, f- figure who talks about the environment and climate. And he's been really, really influential, I think, in changing young hearts and minds about the importance of it. Because he's like grandpa, isn't he? And so he's wise. And he doesn't doesn't embellish, you know, he's just... and I did say on this show a couple of weeks ago that Attenborough, along with the um, head of the, of the, the, the UN Secretary General, they're just like going all out now. They're just like, look, the world is collapsing. <laughs> you're not going to have a planet left unless you pull your finger out. And, and you're right that these people are trusted voices. Absolutely. And I think the second thing is, and I'm asked about this all the time, because I agree that young people, and I I think we need to try and get back to a place with this. And I think there is a a chance with Gen A, who are the the generation that go behind Generation Z, which we're just beginning to talk about, and actually I'm talking about in my next book. Um, But, and I think, you know, these long, long reads, they're still away from this. There are lots of young people who who read and and, and love to read. But I think the other sign, this notion that they have these really short intention spans and they don't care about information and and meaty sort of sources of information is actually, and this is, I'm I'm not flattering you, is podcasts. Because young and, and, and big series, because young people are perfectly prepared to binge listen and binge watch and documentaries are hugely popular and they're really you know massive massive thing on on you know netflix or amazon or all those things and really quite educational things not necessarily just the sort of fun conspiracy theory things so there clearly is an appetite for experts information and news again the important thing is is how it's packaged and it has to be packaged and i think lots of podcasts and lots of documentaries have really cracked this in a way that it's just really engaging and has a really engaging person and again the mistake I think lots of traditional news make is that they think all young people want to watch young people and it's all about getting a cool influencer but in fact lots of young people really like listening to people who are really learned experts and and they really respect these you know the many years in whatever field they're talking and there is massive signs that there is this real you know taste and need for information um, and, and knowledge but it's how it's presented, and I think that's the key. Are you about to do an advert for Five Minute News, which is <laughs> a daily five-minute but in-depth analysis of three of the most important stories in the world? Because that's why I created that as a podcast three and a half years ago, and we're about to hit a 1,000 episodes, is because... Case yeah, case in point. I came to the US and I recognised that people preferred the shorter bites... But you can actually deliver factual, in-depth details because a news bulletin on a radio station at the top of the hour is normally a minute or two and covers seven or eight stories. What I do each day with 5-Minute News is three stories in about six minutes. And, And actually, it doesn't seem like a lot more, but it gives you the time to go much deeper with a with a story and choosing stories based on their importance rather than their fashion is is actually the key i think because people write to me and they go like oh it's amazing that you were telling us these stories because other networks weren't carrying them and i'm like well because i'm not a populist mm-hmm. and 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 this takes us back to trump and to boris johnson and and what is populism and why is populism becoming uh, has it why has it become so popular 
I mean, what is it about populism that that w- enables us to label people like Trump and Boris Johnson a- a- as this? I, I I've been thinking about this so much recently, and there's obviously you know many complex answers about this, but I think the appeal of populism across generations is it's an easy solution. And what essentially populism does is it says, um, I have easy answers, nothing is your fault, and if you join our gang, you're always going to have, you know, your gang around you and you're not going to be alone. So it it essentially kind of, and and so it solves all kinds of, of complex problems because when nothing is your fault, you blame other people. When you, I think, you know, the appeal of, for example, things like QAnon, which is obviously massively linked to Trumpism, it's massively attracted lots of, I think, lonely older people who, for all kinds of complex reasons, are lonely and perhaps isolated. And they've found this kind of tribe on Facebook. They're like, you know, you know this secret. And that's massively, massively compelling. And then it's, it's and, it, and it all, always, always, and this is the Liz Trust things, is it says, oh, it's easy. Nothing is complicated. You know, I can solve this. I can build a wall. You know, we we blame other people. It's immigrants. It's feminism. It's women. And that's massively appealing, isn't it? Rather than saying, let's do the hard work to solve the big problems, whether it's economy or climate or social justice or any of those things, which are massively complex things. It's saying that there's an easy solution. But most importantly, it's not your fault. And that is going to appeal to anyone who's a bit sad or disenfranchised, whether you're young or old. And saying, I don't know would be a very helpful thing as well, you know, just admitting that there is a big problem, a bigger problem. I mean, inflation is a problem that is worldwide. Uh, The pandemic was worldwide. The knock-on effect of the war in Ukraine is worldwide. And, And I really feel like, you know, in America here, they're blaming Biden for inflation. And I yet haven't heard him talk about the fact that this is happening in every single country. It would be the first thing to do, but maybe the desire to be a populist, which I think affects future politicians as well as current ones, is to say, well, you know, I'm on it. I've got Mm. you. It's going to be fine. Or saying, you know, that's Russia's price hike when it came to the gas prices. You know, it, it's a mistake and and saying look it's going to be tough like we can weather this together but it's going to be tough might be a more honest and therefore useful at the ballot box answer because well, you're not you, painting a you know you're not seeing the world through rose-tinted spectacles no absolutely because the notion that any huge thing like inflation is one person's fault is ludicrous but somehow populism is is always convinced that it's always this kind of bogeyman whether it's you know black lives matter or antifa or people at the border or caravans or all of the other ridiculous things like or joe biden who seems to be as far as they're concerned both simultaneously completely senile and some kind of nefarious puppet master who controls the world (laughs) and and but, but but again the powerful message is it's not your fault. But uh, but what is so interesting, and this is where I think the messaging kind of falls apart, was that Trump in his appeal, and, and Boris Johnson did this, um, and certainly Liz trusted this, was to say, I alone can fix this. This is going to be so easy. We're going to build this. We're going to solve this. And, um, and, and when they actually got into power, they not only didn't do the things that they were going to say they were going to do, but they made it worse. Yeah. And 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 all of the, their promises completely fell apart and were revealed to be complete hokum and complete fantasy. Mm. Where I think I think more moderate politics or left politics um, get it wrong, and I might be wrong about this, but I sometimes think that they take like you know, candy floss to a a knife fight is they need to more clearly say, not only did they fail you and users were failed, but they're losers. They lost this. They, 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 the wall didn't get built. The economy didn't get fixed. Your healthcare didn't get cheaper. In fact, things got exponentially worse and we are currently experiencing the hangover from us. And I think you're absolutely right to say that there are no easy answers. And if we, we kind of build a community and we do this together then we can make this better but the trouble is populism has done such damage and I, I think this has roots in like kind of Reagan politics and Thatcherite politics because there's been such damage to this notion of community and communal building and everything is about the individual and individualism and you are the most important thing and I think populism is kind of like the twisted dark sort of you, you know cousin 
of 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 that kind of Reagan and Thatcher era because the notion of populism is is all about you and everything is always seen through the lens of what do I gain or what do I lose and I think that there is you know that 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 that, that notion that the cruelty is the point is was a I think that was an Atlantic article I think that was a really a really you know correct analysis and correct assessment of where we were because it's it's this not only this idea of I am the most important thing and everything is through the lens of what I get but this idea that I want something at the expense of other people and not this idea that we can kind of if, if I gain some stuff um, then it means that other people can too. It's this notion if things are better for everyone, then somehow that's a failure. It has to be all about things being better for you. Um, and, and I mean, that's just such a sort of, you know, nihilistic and, and unpleasant way to live. But again, I think that's a really key feature of populism. Not this idea that there maybe is enough to go around and if we work together, we can, you know, have the things can get better. It's this idea that actually... In some ways, it's better to have less as long as a person, your enemy, has less as well. And I think that's a real sort of central tenet of Trumpism, that no one cared that things got worse. It was only if the enemies or the perceived enemies, things got substantially worse. Well, it's them them and us all the time, isn't it? And I'm always fascinated as to who them is and who us are, because us is invariably, you know, Trump is painting us as him and you, kind of MAGA Republicans, we're all one. But actually, he doesn't inside see it like that. He doesn't see them as the same as him. And yet they, he has projected to make them see themselves as the same as him. So it's aspirational because he's rich and can say what he likes and he's a rebel and he can upset the whole system, which they crave. But actually, he holds all the power and they have none. And, you know, all the people that have given them, given their entire selves and their wages, you know, their pay packet has gone into financing his campaign. And, you know, he's always fundraising and and they will give their last cent to a guy who cares nothing about them. And yet the grift is creating this kind of army of, well, the other side, the baddies are... Biden and, you know, Obama, Hussein, they always like to use the middle name, uh, and all Democrats. (laughs) It's just, it's it's insane. uh, Absolutely. But it it seems to me, and I was thinking about this recently, that also Trump is like the American dream that's metastasized into something very dark um, yeah. And and very cynical because the idea is that you you know anyone could become anything and you you, you know and you, you you know you aspire to be this millionaire and you could achieve anything. It's now become this very limited thing that only certain people are allowed to achieve. Yeah. You know, if you're white or straight or male. Um, and, and and if I your dad gives you a hundred million dollars, that's always uh, helpful. Uh, Absolutely. But it, I mean, it, it was, you know, it's it kind of is, you know, the saying about, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled. But, you know, the greatest trick Trump ever, ever, ever pulled was convincing, essentially, for the most part, poor, you know, you know, white people that he was somehow one of them. And, you, yeah. you know, and I know it's been said a million times, but this is literally a guy who has a gold toilet and <laughs> has grown up and lived in, you know, in, in Queens and then Manhattan. He's not like, you know, the people from the Midwest or the people from the, you know, the South. Um, and he's never eyes. worked and he's never bought groceries. I mean, he, uh, one of my favourite things that he said at a rally once was, you know, talking about showing ID when you go and buy groceries. Like he said <laughs> yeah. that out loud and I was like, you've never bought groceries. No, so uh, so there's this disconnect, isn't there? And yet people are prepared to give him a pass on that. Let, can I just um, talk or certainly set up this what we kind of should be talking about, really, before we kind of go off in a in a populist direction, and that is the January sixth committee, which uh, I sat through, and I know you did too, watching all three hours of this very compelling kind of final act, televised act, um, where the the kind of money shot really was subpoenaing Donald Trump to get him to come and answer the very questions that have been posed. I, I think that. You know, this is a very, very interesting time in American political history because, you know, you effectively had somebody who was as bad as Hitler. And I I very happily say that considering, Mm. you know, obviously I'm not talking about, 
know, drawing comparisons with the Holocaust and six million Jews. That's not what I'm saying. But in terms of a a cult leader, because, you know, the Second World War did not start with the Holocaust. You know, no, it, it ended with the Holocaust. We're, what we're effectively talking about is the very beginnings of... Uh, you know, the restructuring of America, which is a, an experiment, which is looking like it, it might not survive mm-hmm. if Donald Trump is allowed to do this again, or if a similar uh, dictator or despot or autocrat is is allowed to sow so much misinformation that people don't know which way is up. Mm-hmm. What's the name of that other world in, in that Netflix show the, the, where they the go The Upside into, Down. The yeah, Upside the up, Down, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in That's things. kind of how I feel yeah. we're living here in the States, where Democrats and Republicans just don't bother conversing anymore. There is no dialogue, both in the House of Representatives, in the Senate, or at the dinner table. Zero communication because of this upside-down world where Trump's life and and existence means one thing and Democrats live in, I call it reality, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I I see Democrats on the ground and I see the Republicans as the upside-down to that. Mm -hmm. And that's not bias. That's just truth. True. And, and, And yet to say that to a Republican, they just wouldn't have it. I mean, it, it genuinely is puzzling, and and it is almost like you you know we use the, we use this expression post truth a lot, and I often wonder, do they really believe you know the that you that you know Hugo Chavez flipped you know whatever it was barcodes and they flipped Republican votes to Democrat votes, and you know there was something to do with China involvement and Russia involvement. Or, you know, or are they kind of so sort of far gone that they've convinced themselves? Or, you know, is it all just part of, again, you know, this personalised grift where it's all about personal power? And I do think there are distinct groups. I think there are, you know, the Mitch McConnells who are completely in it for personal power and they will do yeah. it at any cost and, you know, and, and they will sacrifice uh, America and the American experiment completely. And then you have the kind of the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts who are kind of like they're like the you know they're like the cheerleaders in a horror movie who die for us because they're too stupid to live. So one <laughs> assume, you know one yeah. assumes that they're either and they seem to be you know these kind of evangelical believers in 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 the Trump experiment and then I think you've got the kind of the, the people in the middle who know exactly what they're doing the sort of the Ted Cruz's and the and you know the Marco Rubios. They're the, they're they're the operators. Yeah, they, and, 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 and in some ways they're the worst, you know, the Mitch McConnells and the Ted Cruz's because they know perfectly what they're doing and they're completely in it for personal power. Um, but no, but, but it is like the upside down. But, but I think going back to the, the original thing that we mentioned when we were mentioning Steve about you, this is cult-like behaviour. Mm. This is, this is, you know, the Orwellian thing, and I know that's used so much, but the final command was not to believe what you saw with your eyes and your ears. I mean, that was in 1984. And that's exactly what Trumpism requires you to do. It's asking you not to look empirical facts and things that happened. And if inconvenient things happen, they just quite simply say, and we saw it in that letter day, that didn't happen. That was, it was completely the opposite. It was Nancy Pelosi's incompetence. It was, you know, the Antifa. And it, um, mm. we watched it. We watched But even Daniel- video evidence is not Absolutely. enough these days. And isn't that when you've crossed the Rubicon, right? Isn't that the point at which you're like, well, okay, I'm done. I'll see you on Mars. Because if, if you're showing actual factual video evidence, there can be there can be no question and yet still they're like no but it's not though you see and then they'll focus in on something tiny like currently i mean this you know yesterday there was this video was shown at the january 6 hearing which was about 7 minutes long but there is actually a 40 minute version this video was shot by Nancy Pelosi's daughter. She's a celebrated yes. documentary filmmaker. She was there because she wanted to document the peaceful transfer of power, which never happened. And so <laughs> yeah. she just kept rolling. She knew that this was going to be the most important film of her life. It's not been shown up until now, and I realize why. And, of course, all this heat has been placed on Nancy Pelosi by the right, saying, well, she should have called in the National Guard. It's her job. 
which is not true. No. And now we have video of her trying to call in the National Guard and being, you know, it, it becoming increasingly difficult to get through. She was talking to Jeffrey Rosen, who, who uh, you know, was on, on Trump's team, to say, please, please do this. And it was met with deaf ears. I mean... Mm. Even this is not enough. And and now there's a little bit of extra video which we've seen of her saying, I want Trump to come to the Capitol because I want to punch him. <laughs> that was so funny. And, and, you know, and she's like an 80-something-year-old woman. And I'm just like, yeah, you know. Yeah, we, we get and you, Nancy. Yeah, We get you, Nancy. We feel you. And what the right will probably do is now say, she's a violent person. You see, oh. we told you all along, she is violent, she hates Trump, and all she wants to do is have him killed. And that will be the new narrative because of that language that was obviously said sarcastically. No, absolutely. And I, I mean, this is, it, there, I think it's in psychology, there's thing called, and this is, goes back to this kind of the populism and, 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 you know, this tribal nature of it, this sort of sense that when you're in our tribe, you're in our tribe and we'll look after you. But I think that's the kind of tragic nature of it. It's a sunk cost sort of principle that once you, it's, you know, a bit like, you know, when you bet as much, you keep betting. And when you've invested so much into an ideology or an indivi- individual, it becomes such a high personal cost to let it go and to say, I was wrong all along. And I think um, most of the people in the Republican Party, except the complete and utter, you know, gone, you know, members of it for whatever reason that they're gone, um, uh, you, you know, no perfectly well what the reality is but I think what they're doing is essentially kind of being the mouthpiece for the the MAGA followers of which they are massively using you know for, for their own political gains I think they're adhering to this this idea or or, or they've understood that they can say that to them because this is this MAGA followers who don't want to see this because of the sunk cost principle they've invested so much into this person I mean I personally and many of my friends in the states and I've worked in American politics you know there's this there's huge you know page on the internet of people who have lost relatives and great friends to you know QAnon and Trumpism and you know and I'm not sort of saying that everybody who votes voted Donald Trump or believes that is you know a full-on kind of card-carrying QAnon member but 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 there is I think probably the higher proportion of them who are so invested in this that it's way beyond way beyond politics and it has become um like a personal belief system, like a cultish yeah. belief system. It's a They're gang actually, warfare, almost. Totally. And, and I think more to the point, it's become for so many of these MAGA people, and you read this on when you go into their spaces and when they talk, that it's become interconnected with the self. And it's sort of almost kind of propping up who they are. And, and it's become one of the most important parts of their identity and their personality. Yeah. To let it go would be to you know, become a huge personal cost. And that, I mean, that's an enormous tragedy, but Ted Cruz and Mitch McConnell, they're not with those people. They're using those people for political game because they understand that these people actually, lots of them are real victims to this. This is, you know, and really quite vulnerable. I want to talk about misinformation. I mean, this is obviously something that uh, we've, we talk about all the time. Um, but there is, there's definitely uh, more of a, there's more of a, um, focus i think on how certainly trump can with a narrative because he's he's written a, a letter to the january 6th committee uh, <laughs> yeah, this it. morning actually or, or thursday morning uh friday morning that was in response to their subpoena effectively he didn't say if he was going to come and answer questions or not some like maggie haberman says he will but i'll believe that when i see it but he's basically just saying you haven't investigated election fraud and then listed seven or eight districts in which he claimed there is election fraud, despite the fact that all the courts, 62 court cases have been lost, uh, where he's attempted to show that there was election fraud when there, when there wasn't. The Supreme Court has rejected hearing it because there was no election fraud. And yet, despite all of these hearings, that was his response. You still haven't investigated election fraud. So there was a survey which I wanted to kind of bring up here. It's a Pearson Institute and AP NORC survey that shows that regardless of political ideology, 
Americans agree that misinformation is leaving a mark on the country. They say overall, 91% of adults say the spread of misinformation is a problem. 74% calling it a major problem. Only 8% said misinformation isn't a problem at all. So this is across the political spectrum. Three quarters of adults say misinformation is leading to more extreme political views and behaviours, such as instances based on uh, violence, based on race or religion or gender. Hate crime, Asian hate crime after the COVID outbreak, which was massive here because Trump was blaming China, calling it the China virus or the Kung flu. I mean, this might be funny to Republicans, but if you're an Asian, I mean, they weren't even like uh, targeting Chinese people. They couldn't tell the difference between, you know, different Asian uh, people. And this is the tragedy. It's like everything is completely lacking in detail. Mm-hmm. It's all about the top line, the headline. Let's go for it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, you know. How, so how do you feel, certainly with your experience with social media and young people reading this stuff? How dangerous is misinformation going forward? We know where it's got us to. You know, we know that an election was effectively overturned for a few hours and, and the, the certification was delayed and a riot ensued and seven people died. But going forward, what is this going to do to the country? It's, I think it's probably one of the most pernicious influences that exists in, in any country, because quite simply, it's not just about information, it's about reality. Because we're almost at the point now, we, you know, with deep fakes and all that kind of thing. So, it, you know, the, the, it's almost, I think, misinformation is the tip of the iceberg. The, the, yeah. the, 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 te- the capabilities of, of misinformation are going way beyond that. And what it's going to start to do is actually make people in it and I think this you know we're seeing this with the market thing is is question reality it's quite question with what they see with their eyes and their ears and there's the sort of the Steve Bannon principle which I don't know whether you can say this but this idea that his his whole thing which I think he the principle actually borrowed from the Russian is you flood the zone with shit so yeah. people have no idea what's true and what's not and you flood it with so much misinformation I think Alex Jones does this and so much crazy in, and you might thread in some reality there and, I, and 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 people are massively confused and and mm. and I think you know you see it all the time on Twitter that people you know often can't tell the difference between parody accounts and satire accounts um and I think it's it's it is the most it's one of the most pernicious influences and I think it's going to get worse and I think the only there's a couple of ways that, that that I guess we can address this, but I think there are so many nefarious forces who actually it's in their interest to make people in a state of constant confusion, and you see this very very commonly used in in countries that don't operate in democracies. One. Um, and this goes back to the beginning of the conversation, we've got to get better uh, in education in schools about media literacy. And I've been pushing the government here to to, to install proper media literacy programmes, not just about traditional media. So, like, can you tell the difference between a tabloid and broadsheet, which is like, you know, everybody did. But really serious, you know, understanding and being able to read um, social media and truth and facts and actually being... And there, there are some good programmes, but I think that needs to be embedded in... Uh, uh, so having a natural abs- barometer for the truth, that, totally. that's what's missing, isn't it? It's like the, the, the mercury is missing. Totally. So I think that that is an, an incredibly critical thing, the, the education system. But I also think um, it's, I mean, I'm not sure that we can rely on social media companies to do the decent thing and bring in, you, you, you know, I mean, you get these kind of, you know, mealy attempts to, you know, put that this might be a lie on Twitter yeah. and, and Facebook. I mean, Facebook, I mean, let's not get into the ethics of Mark Zuckerberg, but they could be much better. But I, but this goes back to this idea of bringing people back in every field, politics, economics, celebrity, you know, housing, climate, who are experts and learned and and are invested in the truth but are also really engaging and interesting to listen to because the trouble is and this isn't just true in politics this is true in so many fields that idiots and fools tend to shout the loudest and are often very engaging people you know i mean there's i don't personally understand why anyone wants to listen to alex jones but it's it it's there is a reason that he has hundreds of millions of followers because clearly he has this kind of engaging way of presenting misinformation and he's not 
not so, stupid, Alex no, Jones. Not at all. I mean, this he is the thing. Exactly he's a what... he's an operator, and we should just digress to talk about what happened earlier this week, where he's been hit with almost a billion dollar <laughs> lawsuit because, right? Yeah, because he <laughs> he he denied that Sandy Hook was was a real event. He said that the parents who were suffering grief and, and crying were actors and there was an FBI agent uh, who was involved and he, they said he said he was an actor. Uh, he was actually awarded one of the largest uh, sums outside of the, the, the immediate family. Um, and I watched, I mean, this is the crazy thing. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when the verdict was read out, Alex Jones was live streaming his show I saw. and he was watching it too. And so as the verdict came out, I watched him. He went, oh, well, that doesn't matter. I'm bankrupt. So that's never going to happen. And then turned to the camera and said, I need your donations now. And not a penny of the money that you give me is going to go to those families. And I, I was mean, like, this it, grift. It, I mean, uh, I, it's just beggar's belief. And yet in his divorce lawsuit... His his defense was, I'm an actor playing a role. I don't believe this stuff. And his ex-wife testified similarly. And so it's out there that this is an act. It's out mm. there that this is just a revenue stream for him. And that he and people like him will say anything to just earn their living, even at the cost of children being executed yeah. in a school it, it, yeah, it's I, the, the it's, morals of it, the, it it's tragic it, it is completely i mean it was a really grimly meta moment watching that and i mean yeah. I, I mean even i wondered if he'd sink that low and of course there is no bottom no. um but 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 this does matter i mean that sandy hook thing felt like a real sort of canary in the coal mine moment because it was in 2011 and that felt like when I remember reading about this, and this was right at the beginning of sort of social media and when everyone started to get a smartphone. And I think, you know, certainly Alex Jones was canny enough very early on to realise the power of misinformation and also the power of tribes. And again, he's a, I mean, he's a real Trumpist character in that sense, isn't he? Because he is all about, you are part of my gang and my tribe. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's with his followers, it's in their interest to absolutely believe, you know, in this evangelical way, what he says. But I think we talked about this last time. And th this is the, I mean, and this is something I talk about a lot when I go into schools and with young people. And, and they really, I think they really kind of gel with this analogy that it, it, it we don't think in terms of the ideal intellectual or ideological weight of things everything now is about team sports thinking that you are asked to join a team alex jones team the marga team the biden team the obama team you know the the blm team and it's and obviously you know certain teams kind of you know you know join each other's teams but 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 the point being is once you're in that team you it, you never leave that team and you cannot it's a bit like Arsenal and Chelsea you can't be an Arsenal fan and say oh actually I'm really quite pleased that Chelsea won the idea is once you're in your kind of intellectual and ideological team that you you, you want to win at any cost and it's not just th that you want the other team to lose you want them to be humiliated yeah. and 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 that is no way to exist in a kind of a democratic and reasonable country because you have to have you've got to have ways particularly with young people to say that you don't fit into an intellectual ideological box or you shouldn't and you should be able to say two things number one I was wrong and that is perfectly fine to say number two I changed my mind yes. and actually I've started yeah. to see that the other side or the people I didn't agree with or the people I agreed with two years ago actually were right but we've got into this team sports thinking that we kind of that becomes this sort of like humiliating thing and you you know betrayed your team and we actually make horrendous examples of these things and we've seen terrible things happen to people when they leave their tribes and then it all becomes about fear and I think that you this team sports thinking I think that's a real part of it this idea that if you leave leave your side if you leave your tribe if you disagree with your tribe they really turn against you so it's also become i think this kind of ideological fear that you never leave your team you never leave your side and you're safe within your tribe and you do have people really talk intelligently talking about when they change their mind but that's becoming really really unusual that mm. you actually think I, I, I was wrong and i've changed my mind and i think 
if we are going to improve things at all, we have to find a space that allows people to cross over. And we don't say, well, you know, you can't come over to us because you once voted Trump or you were once a conservative or one, you were once, you know, a feminist or, or anything and actually say, you know, cross over, come over and, and make yeah. it much more in the spirit of welcomeness of, of people being able to, I, you know, grow and develop. But unfortunately, I think it's this very, very sort of reductive thing that once you're in your tribe, if you leave your tribe or you start questioning that, then what you actually do is you start questioning yourself. Mm. And, and and I think you're kind of almost like your psychological makeup and it's like, I'm, I'm going to break down. And I, you know, and it goes back to that, you know, the QAnon thinking or the Marga sort of thinking. It's, it's, like, it's identity. You, absolutely. And it's yeah. like, you literally, if I let this go, I'm going to let a huge part of myself go. And that's real tragedy and that's real cult stuff for sure. And, and it's far um, greater in America than it is in the UK. You know, in, in, in the so. UK, I, I try to explain to people that, you know, politics is like, it's kind of like 11 o'clock and, and one o'clock, you know, in terms of like the left mm. and the right. Whereas in America, the right is the far right and the extreme right. And I know that's happening more in the UK, but it's it, it certainly there is this level of extremism where extremism now has become the popular mainstream of the Republican Party. And by extremism, I mean women's rights, oh, God, banning yeah. of, of abortion. They're, they're looking to ban same-sex marriage and contraception and all of these things interracial marriage will be next i mean you know that's totally it's it's all it's all uh for the for the taking and that is extremism in a civilized society and i just think going and the other thing i wanted to say and this is what we talked about when you came on the show last time is that this tribalness is taught in schools in america it's it's cheerleaders it's it's like mm. you know league soccer or football it's 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 creating a uh this team sports element that we don't really have as much there is this kind of it's a bit like cricket in England, you know, like a gentleman's game, the yes, handshake. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, well, yeah, we're all, we, we might be rivals on the, on the pitch, but afterwards we're all going to go and, and drink, drink together, yeah. right? And that doesn't really happen as much in the US. I think afterwards it's like you go to your hut and we'll go to ours and mm. we'll just slag each other off. And, 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 and so there's that. But then with misinformation as well, I really very much wanted to say that what what do we have left, right, of society? If misinformation is going to get worse, as you've described, and I completely agree, where people do not have that barometer to decipher the difference between what is true and what is propaganda, you're going to be left with uncivilized societies. You know, we, we already see America's uh, system even though the voting is pretty secure, people's mindset is that it isn't because Trump told them that it wasn't yeah. and continues to do so as recently as Friday. And so civilized communication, civilized a conversation like this, any kind of civility is going to be lost to a kind of class warfare. And, and my fear is that the American experiment will fail and now yeah. the UK has been through thousands of years of this, you know, from the Roman occupation and everything else. We've we've had despots come and go. We've had Oliver Cromwell. We've had all these characters in history that have made British democracy pretty firm, even though our constitution is not even written on a piece of paper. And yet people know what it is by default. That hasn't happened yet in America. The country is simply too young and therefore mm -hmm. it is more likely to fail. No, I mean, and I think this is the, the, one of the big problems that America hasn't had a stress test like this. Um, and, and unlike, for example, Europe, which has gone through many iterations and many stress tests and, and very, very dark ones and has kind of come through that and lived to see the day. Um, and I, I, I mean, this is the thing that the, the parallels of, of what the, you know, what America is going through with some of the darkest periods in European history is staggering. And I mean, you, you know, that isn't being alarmist at all when you start extrapolating the parallels between, you know, the early stages of, you know, the 1930s and Yeah, in the Germany. rise of the Nazi or, party. Or, yeah. I mean, you know, but it, I mean, in a very crude way, and I, I think they're kind of, I think they are aping it, but I think that a lot of it's kind of, you know, accident and, and, and I think, you know, sort of, you, you know, trial and fail, but they tried it last time, it failed. And, and you, you, they, I think to some extent, some brighter people than Trump have sort of figured out, 
you know the weak spots of the experiment and you know they're doing very systematic things you know putting people in electoral but you know doing it in in a much more kind of strategic way of doing it kind of state by state as opposed to kind of these these big coups which actually effectively is what hitler did in the end he tried a coup it failed so he did it in a much more strategic way and it it didn't fail it worked and I know, you know, the, the, the sort of, you know, the Nazi thing is, is a big thing to sort of throw out. But, but if you don't look backwards, if you don't look to the lessons of history, you don't learn anything. And I, I mean, the, but this is, I think, the final word, really, of, of even people who were deeply in love with Trump and the MAGA experiment, is that the Republicans and Trump are not for freedom. They are all about limiting your freedoms, whether it's bodily autonomy, who you marry, what you read, who you love. And there's, you know, and there's a very, very tiny minority of people who have all the power. Now, America at its core, whatever else, it's about kind of freedom. and, and, And that is the most important thing. And I don't think that the Democrats are hammering that message home effectively enough that actually, if if it's not about kind of left or right or, you know, you know, Democrat politics, Republican politics at this point, and I don't think they're being effective enough in this message, it is much more about personal freedom and autonomy that thing that's very sacred to every kind of american whether it's the kind of gun loving ones or you know the hippies who drive priuses and eat you know vegan diets that that freedom is sacred to the kind of the american experiment or it's the republican party and both can't coexist because that they are fundamentally two opposing things and i don't think that message is being hammered home enough and you know it, an abortion is a really interesting message, isn't it? Because it's it's a tricky one. Because if you're massively, massively um, anti-abortion, if, if you're, I, I refuse to use the word pro-life, but if you're massively anti-abortion and anti-choice, you, you, it's the abortion is quite a, a sort of a difficult message to sell because you think, well, you know, my side won, and 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 I'm I'm for this, and I don't like you know what, what abortion does, but it's not the abortion that's the important point to people who are anti-abortion it's the freedom thing it's the government telling women and indeed men this isn't just a woman thing that we make the choices about your body and that that comes to every single part of kind of the american experiment and freedom that that, that is is an a, an absolutely you know perfect example of this republican party thinking that they have the right to go into your home and your life and your body and make the choices for you and that is deeply worrying and it's it's rights rather than action the right to vote is not forcing you to vote the right to an abortion is not forcing you to have an abortion and i think this is the miscommunication you know democrats are for your rights they're not forcing you to be transgender they're not forcing you to learn about uh critical race theory you know it's just having the right to choose and the the phrase the right to choose should exist across the board not just when it comes to reproductive rights no, and that's absolutely. and that's what Republicans have done. They've taken that as they do. It's part of the part of the grift. They've twisted it, and they're saying, you know, Democrats want your kids to become trans because they're going to teach it in school. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, there's a law in California that's just given the uh, uh, doctors the opportunity, or certainly patients, in the case of trans youth, the right to seek the drugs that they might need to consider gender reassignment. Mm. It's not forcing that drug on them. It's not, mm. and it's not cutting off appendages. It is giving the patient the right to have access to this if it is necessary for them and if, something, if it's something that will make their lives better. And that is the fundamental miscommunication here. It's about rights, not about actions. Uh- Absolutely. And I mean, this has got already gone way past, you know, the, like, so it, there are literally universities who are now exercising the, the, these laws that you can't talk about abortion or con- contraception 
on campuses and the sort of, you know, the professors are being threatened if they bring up those things. That is absolutely, this is the right to mention those things. And, and frankly, you know, we, America is a massively, you know, against these, um, you know, countries that are religious and sort of ideologically limit people's freedoms that maybe exist kind of in the, the Middle East. And there's lots of discussions about that, but that's exactly what they're doing. That they are limiting people's freedoms. And if, 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 if these don't, touch you now the next one might or the next one might because this is this is a slippery slope and once one thing's taken away it's going to move on to the next and I know it's that classic thing of you know they came for me but absolutely if you if you are prepared to give up your rights and your freedom eventually that is going to come and bite you it absolutely will and 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 you know if, if the Demo if the Republicans god forbid get into power it might take two or three or five years but this extremism keeps going the way it is you know, every person who voted for them is going to find their lives darkly limited in some way because that's that's what they represent. And your your expression of extremism now, you know, it's per the old school Republican Party wouldn't have voted for them. Perfectly fine. You know, I get it. Small government and low taxation and all the things that they represented. I understand why people were into that, but that's not what they represent anymore. This is a, a an extremist you know, deeply creepy party that are all about, as I think eventually kind of imprisoning almost everybody, not literally imprisoning, but kind of imprisoning and making the lives smaller and narrower of anybody, except essentially themselves. And the Herschel Walker thing was a perfect example. This is a guy who's trying to take away women's rights to abortion, or quite happily, both encouraging and paying for his wife to abort one of the, 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 the you know, the, his uh, you, you know, uh, would be sort of children. To the, my point being, it's the classic, isn't it? It's it, it's it's you the know, hypocrisy. The, yeah, the, the for yeah. me, not for thee, kind of thing. And it, it is it's the ultimate hypocrisy. Um, we have to finish, but uh, <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it, to kind of have hopeful conversations about this because, um, you know, the 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 world is in a really te terrible state right now, you know, with the with the war and with inflation. And, you know, the people that suffer are not the Donald Trumps of this world. No. Uh, or the Boris Johnsons. These people can afford, you know, they have enough of a buffer that, that their lives will not change if the price of gas goes up. And yet the people that do suffer are often the people that are committed conservatives or, or, or mm -hmm. committed to the cause who are not earning enough money and they are literally going to be bankrupted by these decisions that are being made by people, leaders with, with no experience. And, and I, I would finally say that, you know, in England we refer to MPs, members of parliament. But in America, the name for these people is much more suitable. They are representatives. And I, I really feel like we need to encourage representatives to truly represent their constituents and their people rather than just take a position which has nothing to do with the very people that elected them. No, I, no absolutely. I, I think I always do try to finish on a positive note and I think the representative thing is really important I think f f finishing on a positive note and thinking about young people this is a generation who despite the misinformation and despite you know social media addiction and the mental health issues are highly attuned to you know the, the problems and challenges they face they're highly attuned to you know the, the massive limitations of politics and the representatives who are supposedly represent them but don't at all and you know, and I think the the kind of blue, the, the Dobbs decision, it, it's it you know, and all the things that are happening, the economic, the climate things, are massively politicising the generation. And I I will say this that Generation Z and I, now Generation A, people want to portray them, and particularly the right, as these kind of entitled babies, and all you know they care about is you know their iPhones and whinging about things and pronouns and all that kind of thing, and that's the thing they want to represent them, and that's not true at all. That's them trying to say to young people, don't hope for more don't be more that we you know we're going to kind of grind you down and we're going to misinform you and i promise you the number of people i mean writing this book and doing this series who are highly politicized and highly engaged and very knowledgeable and genuinely knowledgeable like you know not misinformation information and they are highly geared to proper change and i think that's something really really positive so i think 
you know, providing we don't all end up, you know, in, you know, Gilead or something like yeah. that. I, 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 I do have genuine hope um, and, and really good feeling. I mean, and I'm heavily involved in, you know, you know all kinds of organisations and work. And I do think that there's lots of positive change happening. And I think the most important message is to, you know, to young people and old people is don't let this grind you down. Don't fall for the misinformation. You know, don't let the stupidity win because there's more of us than there is of them. Yeah. Do do your research. It's it's the, it's actually the Parkland, in a good way though. Yeah, yeah for sure. The the Parkland kids gave me the most hope, you know. And we we just yeah. saw a, a few days ago the the shooter at the at the Parkland, um, you know, the the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School got a, a an all of life sentence. You know, he'll he'll never get parole. He didn't get the death penalty, uh, which is um, due to a technicality of Florida law. Mm. But those kids who put on a you know, a rally after that event and talked about, you know, they were campaigning and became activists. They gave me a huge amount of hope. It, it was very sad that it came off the back of a of a mass shooting. But there are young people who really care and who who understand their equilibrium is very much balanced. Their, their barometer is, is, is very strong. And, and uh, we put uh, our absolutely. trust in them. Absolutely. And I think the, the final thing I'll say, and I, um, I, I know um, we're coming to the end, is that um, it's very easy, I think, for people who haven't grown up on social media to be fooled by social media. I think, you know, Facebook and the Q thing is massively like red pill grandma. But this is also a generation who have grown up with social media. So they're very, very tuned to the tricks. And they and they are also really good at flipping it and using kind of the algorithms and the language against the kind of nefarious forces. And often older people, you know, very, you know, sort of politicians with advisors try to take on young people on social media and end up looking like idiots. Yeah. So these people who, you know, and, and, you know, TikTok is kind of, I think, reached its zenith and we're sort of seeing the next kind of wave, I think the new Gen A wave of social media which would be really interesting so I think I'm hoping that social media might yet be used for good by this generation who actually do I think understand how to kind of flip the script and use it for something that's a bit less dark than what we've seen in the last four or five years okay tell us where we can hear you have a podcast and uh, you have a book and another book to come tell, just tell us about those very quickly for people who want to know more about Chloe Combi so we did a series um, in the UK, but actually there's, it's global called You Don't Know Me, which is on all the usual places, which is me interviewing um, young people about, there's 12 episodes, so 12 issues. So I've just done a series with Meta, um, which is super interesting. And we're in the middle of um, figuring out the next one, which is a VR exploration of teen mental health. And it kind of, it was at SXSW, but you do need an Oculus. I can't tell you yet about what the new book's called um, because I'm not allowed to and I'll get into trouble. Um, and, you know, if people, I have a website. So, you know, people want to get in touch with me about, you know, advice um brand stuff government stuff i do lots and lots of i mean i've interviewed over ten thousand members globally of gen z and gen a so i'm really i'm definitely considered one of the real experts about young people so do get in touch if uh, you want to know more okay thank you very much chloe combi thank you, anthony that was so fun don't forget to subscribe to the weekend show on youtube or as an audio podcast and also the five minute news daily podcast which drops every morning so you can hear me tell you the three biggest stories of the of the world in fact whilst you make your morning coffee and leave an itunes review i'm anthony davis join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on the five minute news weekend show with midas touch science 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.